You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. The law of nature tells us we ought to do and ought not to do. We have this innate sense that people should behave properly. And Lewis gives this example. A guy gets on the train, and he gets the seat in the corner because he's first. Another guy slips in, and as the first guy's looking away, he takes the seat. <laughs> we typically would blame the second guy, right? Hey, he, he was there first. Well, who said first gets the seat? But who set up the standard of fairness? What are you talking about? He got it. Survival of the fittest, right? In war, you and I might view traitors as useful. They can give us useful information, but at the same time, they are vermin. They're traitors. Disloyal, untrustworthy. They violated what? What they're supposed, they're supposed to be loyal to their countrymen. And we view them as vermin. There is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior, and yet quite definitely real, a real law which none of us made, but which we find pressing on us. You ought to behave this way. Conscience. The materialist says that matter and space just happen to exist and have always existed. It's just a material universe. That's it. Nobody knows why they exist because it just happened. Things came together accidentally. That's a materialist worldview. The religious say that what is behind the entire universe is something like a mind. Now, this is the religious. We're not talking about a Christian, but the religious, sort of like these people we've discussed earlier. They know there's a creator. There's an intelligent being. He has purposes, prefers one thing to another, and created the universe for his own reasons. That's the religious. And then the in-between. It's a life force philosophy, creative evolution, emergent evolution. The small variations by which life evolved are not due to chance, but the striving of a life force. You know, Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. This sort of, it's sort of a tame God, says Lewis, who will not bother you. It has all the thrills of religion and none of the, none of the cost. Which I thought was a great point. So you can be religious. It's all going to turn out okay. After all, he's merciful, right? But they don't realize that it's only through Christ that you can approach him. Matter of fact, the worship of an unbeliever is absolutely abominable if it's not through Christ. I don't care what you do. Any questions on morality? Okay. We know, man, from the inside, each one of us is a person, a human being. We find ourselves under a moral law that we did not make. We can't forget it, though we try. We know that we ought to obey it. There is this internal influence trying to get us to behave in a certain way. Again, the example with Manny, you know, why would he do something that's going against his primary desire. He wants to do this. He really wants to do this. But he recognizes that he ought to help someone and do this. And that ought overrides his strong desire to do this. Where did that come from? It's an internal influence. 
getting us to behave in a certain way. Somebody or something is directing the universe. He made the facts and he exists behind them. Mm, mm, mm. There are two important pieces of evidence. <laughs> of evidence about the somebody, the universe, and the moral law, he argues. The universe is beautiful. He's a great artist. It's dangerous. He's merciless and no friend to man. We see death all around us. Without the scriptures to explain what's going on, it's just, it's a beautiful universe, but it's dangerous. People die. And the moral law is unyielding. It's hard as nails. We're utterly unable to keep it, though we ought to keep it. And if it is impersonal mind behind all of this, then there's no sense of asking for mercy from a detached, soulless, uncongenial mind. It's just a tough existence. You're born, you live, you die, and that's it. You know, if it's, governed, if it's not governed by absolute goodness, all of our efforts are vain. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, is right. All is vanity. <laughs> it's all a chasing after wind. If it's governed by goodness, then by our disobedience, we make ourselves enemies and hopeless. If it is a being like this, we're against him. What are we going to do? And Christianity begins to talk then when we realize that there is a moral law, a power behind it, and we've broken it. That's the beginning of the wonderful conversion of the sinner. I've put myself in the wrong with that power, and Christianity offers the only remedy to my dilemma. I can't meet the law's demands, but God became man to meet them and save me from them. That's the Christian gospel. So this idea of God revealing himself in nature and creation and providence is very helpful because we see that he does make himself known. But he makes himself known savingly in Jesus Christ. Any questions on this before we go to the last slide? Any comments? Okay. Good. Atheism says, if a, God, if a good God made the world, what went wrong? How many times have we heard that? I've mentioned Christopher Hitchens many times. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on him. Basically, his only argument is that if God is good, why is there so much tragedy, evil, and bad in the world? That's his argument. <laughs> as intelligent as he was, and the guy was brilliant, that's all he had. And, of course, he didn't understand the whole doctrine of sin and judgment, what we deserve and don't deserve. We don't deserve anything. What did Edward say? The only thing you've contributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's it. It seems cruel and unjust because death is all around us, but where did I get the idea of just and unjust? Why do you think it's unjust? What are you comparing this to? If it's the survival of the fittest... Okay, it's just the way it is. If the universe is meaningless, we could not discover that it's so, we wouldn't even know. So we give some examples of typical uh, worldviews, watery religion, there's a God in heaven and everything is just all right. Leaves out the difficult truths, ignores the reality of sin, hell, devil, and redemption, a religion for six-year-olds. Very simple. It's liberalism. Just go do good, and God will be pleased with you. That's liberalism, Protestant liberalism. The fact is, real things are not that simple. As you and I both know, they can be complicated, and so much is bad and seemingly meaningless. So 
The only way to describe or explain the world is through what the Christian faith tells us. And that's one of the arguments for the Christian faith, is it makes so much sense with what we experience in the world. Ah, that's why he acted that way. That's why I act that way. That's why things are the way they are. It makes sense. Dualism, there are two equal, independent, and eternal powers at odds with one another. Plenty of dualists in the world. Neither power made the other, and neither power has more right than the other to call itself God. And each power thinks itself good and the other power bad. That's a dualistic understanding of the world. Two equally independent powers. But how can we call the one power good and the other power bad? Are we just simply saying that we prefer the one to the other because the one gives us good things and the other takes them away? A dualist has no answer for that question. To evaluate each of these powers is to set up a standard above them, which is the real God, and farther back and higher up than either one of them. So you can't judge these two powers. Lewis says... Badness is only spoiled goodness, and there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. So to say something is bad, you have to have say that there is a good before it. That's what he's arguing. I think it's a good philosophical point. Again, these are not um, the primary ways of evangelism, but I think he's teaching us many things about human existence in a fallen world and in our fallen condition. Christianity is closer to dualism than many people think. But the difference is that the dark power was created by God. He created the devil and the devil rebelled. And so the story is of the rightful king landing in disguise and calling us to take part in the great campaign. That's Christian faith. Jesus came in humiliation. Nobody recognized him. Who would have thought that this common, homely carpenter was God incarnate? (laughs) Nobody could have picked him out of a lineup. You know, he has no beauty, according to Isaiah 53. Any questions or comments at this point? Many? I have, I think, one three-part comment. Um, so I was thinking about what you said and what others were saying about, um, you know, the overwhelming evidence we have. But it says in the past how the world is despite that overwhelming sinful and and I think also for three points. Um, one, we are more of a Greek mindset rather than a Hebrew mindset. In the sense of the, 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 the Greek mindset focuses on the form of things and the, our definition of things, how we look at things, but we, we can be totally inconsistent with the substance. And we just know what Hebrew works. So like, if there's a God, that it implies that we are obeying. Right, because a Hebrew yeah. does truth. Correct. A Greek understands truth. Exactly. So, yeah. so we can be fully inconsistent. Second, right, right. We live also in a postmodern world in which being consistent is still okay. Right. So <laughs> not only are we are being inconsistent, but we can hold multiple inconsistent truths and, and still be happy about it. Happily contradictory, yeah. Um, and also our reasoning has been dulled over time. So our capacity to understand philosophical inconsistencies with our doing it has been over them. Oh, yeah. I believe, at least we are a lot less smarter now than we used to be. We'll probably have more information. 
but we have less capacity to see things. So right. the intellectual, the intellectual of people have window that human beings. And third, or fourth, we also have <laughs> natural, we also have a I think we all partake of what's called self-deception, which is that we we are convinced of things that we know they're not true. But we can we deceive ourselves in thinking, and we do that all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. But even more so towards God, and I think it's a great apologetic to an evangelistic tool to try to arise that to see how internally consistent we are in our everyday being that we right. we we believe one thing, we say one thing, we truly are convinced, but then on the side we act differently, right? Or, yeah. Or it yeah, no, it's, those are very good points, and I think you're absolutely right. And uh, one kind of leads to another, right? And we've, we've lost the ability to have logical discourse. Um, we're, we're confronted and bombarded with logical fallacies day in and day out. And we embrace the fallacies as if, well, that's, that makes sense. It's a logical fallacy. That doesn't, one doesn't follow from another. So you're absolutely right. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's helpful. I think Alex... Alex said it last time, I think, you know, this idea of reading and learning the discipline of reading, training our minds to follow an argument, to understand a point and that kind of thing. So I think you're right. We need to work hard. Yeah. Anybody else? Any? Great. So uh, we talked about how, like, everyone is inexcusable. Like, we have general revelation, but we need, like, in order to be saved. But how does that apply in terms of unborn who are, you know, yeah. murdered and infants who are murdered and right. people who um, have mental disabilities and can't, you know, yeah. understand any of that. How does that apply? Yeah, the question is, what about the unborn, the infants, or those who are mentally incapable of grasping propositional speech? And that's an excellent question, and like our confessional standards allow for elect infants, and I'm not sure the word they use, but elect incapacitates being saved by Christ. So some argue, okay, here you have the infant in the womb who's elect. Well, they can't understand the gospel. They're not preaching. Nobody's preaching to the baby in the womb. So the Holy Spirit, who can fill a heart, as we know from John the Baptist, puts the seed of faith in that baby's heart, soul. The baby can't exercise the faith, but the faith is there, and by the blood of Jesus, that elect infant is saved. And that, that baby will be in heaven, in full form, maturity, blessed. Some have argued that every infant dying in infancy is in heaven. Some good Reformed theologians have argued that. I don't know. So what the confession does, it says, elect infants which leaves it open, right? Maybe that means all of them. Maybe it means some of them. We don't know. But God can save the infant, and God can save the incapacitate. Laura? Would that apply to an adult that was part of the elect but was murdered? If he had professed faith before he was murdered, absolutely. If he's of years and ability to examine himself and understand the truth, yes. Now, again, those exceptions... The infant and the incapacitate. I mean, God does what he wants. But it is through Jesus that they're saved, and only through Jesus. And God can do that. 
Don? Going back to my question, then aren't we eliminating uh, Jesus' ability to uh, reach an indigenous people through a vision or something? Can't he go? I mean, why does he need a man to do that? Well, it's a very good question. I'm not saying that we're limiting his ability. God can do anything he wants. What we're saying is that God himself has told us how he's going to use his ability. So we don't expect him to do it in any other way than through his word. There's no other way to know Jesus. This is the way God has decided to reveal Jesus. And he has decided to use fallible, broken vessels like us to share that news with others. Why he does it that way, I haven't the slightest idea. We're broken vessels, clay pots. Why would he do it that way? Why would he just show up and say, hey, here's Jesus? I don't know. But as I read scripture, and that's what we have to do, that's how I understand him limiting himself as how he's going to save people. Yeah, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the plan of redemption. We're grateful for Jesus Christ who accomplished it for the Holy Spirit who applies it and who is pleased to do it through the church and through human beings like ourselves. Thank you for this great salvation and please prepare us for worship now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.